0: All right, please take your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. This is the uh, second message in a very short series. It'll be the final message. Uh, the series has been entitled Unashamed of Jesus Christ. In nineteen ninety nine of April of that month there was a school shooting in Columbine High School in Colorado. And as the killers went through the school, they came to a young girl by the name of Cassie Burnell. And with the gun to her head, they asked her, Do you believe in God? She said, Yes. And Then they took her life. You know, that's not the end of the story, according to the book that the family wrote. Just a couple of years before that, uh, Cassie was filled with anger and rage in her own heart and had threatened to murder one of her teachers. And through this, uh, she came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And Christ radically transformed her life as a young teenage girl. That she was unashamed of the Lord Jesus when it came time uh, for her to say, yes, I'm unashamed. I have no shame in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not the case with so many so-called professing Christians. I was just reading this morning on a website called Church and State an article entitled 50 Reasons to Not Be a Fan of Jesus. And these are so-called so Christians uh, giving 50 Bible verses or quotes from Jesus of things that we should be embarrassed or ashamed of Him and not be a fan of Jesus Christ. But as we come to Mark chapter 8, uh, we want to read verse 38. We'll see the Lord telling us not to be ashamed of Him. Mark chapter 8. All right. These are the words of the Lord here in verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So a couple of weeks ago, we shared a message that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us His children, to uh, call us uh, His children, to allow us to take His surname. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And because Jesus Christ is unashamed to call us His brethren, to call us His children, then we can take this passage of Scripture today and we can say we should be unashamed to call Jesus Christ our God, to call Jesus Christ our Lord, to be unashamed of his words. Now, we looked at the concept of shame, um, the guilt that a person should feel for having sinned against God, and we know that we're living in a society which has totally erased the word sin and has replaced it with uh, such things as Psychological terms, whatever that psychological term may be. Um, But yet, that should be in our lives. But it can also uh, connotate the disgrace that one finds in failure, either in having done something wrong or having forgotten to do something. Well, as we come into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8 starts the second division of the book where Jesus Christ begins to and here in this chapter say I am going to the cross I am going to die for you and he begins to teach them look the, the kind of death that I'm going to die you may be tempted to be ashamed of it because the old testament said cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree well Jesus Christ was suspended he hung From the cross. And to the Jews, that is the sign of a curse, and it is also a stumbling block to them. Well, how could our Messiah be cursed? How could our Messiah uh, die this kind of death? And so Jesus was saying, Don't be ashamed of me, and don't be ashamed of my words. I'm telling you, I'm saying, my words are, I'm going to die. Don't be ashamed of my death. So he was traveling to Jerusalem. And he graciously uh, picks up his ministry to his disciples. And even at this stage in his relationship with him, they're failing miserably um, in understanding who he is. But we know that after the resurrection, uh, they were downcast. They were disheartened and they could not believe that he had died this way and on the road to Emmaus he appeared to two of them and they came and told uh, the rest of the disciples that they had seen Jesus and the resurrection of Christ changed everything and later the Holy Spirit came upon them the day of Pentecost and they were empowered to become witnesses for Jesus. They were Uh, With all boldness, they publicly declared the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and that he would be coming back. So today I would like us just to look at uh, four brief thoughts of this concept unashamed. So first of all, be unashamed to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord. The Apostle Paul says this, In Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now Christ should be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. America, California, San Benito County, Hollister, this neighborhood needs to see Christians whose life as it's lived is all about Christ. For me to live is Christ. We have a new life in Christ. We have a new purpose in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, this is my earnest expectation, my hope. That I shall not be ashamed, but that with all boldness, Christ be magnified in my body. So how can we be unashamed of Jesus? Well, we can be unashamed of Jesus in our spirit, but also by the way that we use our bodies. Um, you know, the Bible tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which we have of God. Therefore, glorify God, in both body and in soul, for you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You know, the world uses the body that God gave them in shameful ways, but we as Christians should use our bodies in an unashamed way. We are the hands of Jesus. We are the feet of Jesus. We are the mouth of Jesus. We are the eyes of Jesus. We are the compassion or the heart of Jesus. Let's be unashamed of the Lord. Now, if you're looking here again in our text, <coughs> excuse me, in Mark 8, chapter, uh, verse 38, the idea here is not a, a statement about future context, all right? that maybe someday you'll be put under pressure in the workplace or at school or maybe even, you know, if you're witnessing to somebody. Do you really believe that? That's not a future event that's taking place. What Jesus is actually saying is, what is your present attitude about me today, right now? I take it that since you're in church, you're not ashamed of Jesus in that certain sense. Now, that may, may not be true for every single person, but... You're here. Um, you know, there will be 22 men on a field and 22 million people watching on television today who need desperately need rest, the 22 men desperately need rest, the 22 million Americans desperately need exercise, but they're not here. You are. Praise God, right? Um, We should not be ashamed of Jesus right now. So the conduct of a person toward Christ right now determines Christ's future conduct towards them. If then, if you're ashamed of me now, then I will be ashamed of you in the future. So right at this very moment, would you do an evaluation of your heart and your life? Can you say, through the witness of the Holy Spirit, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. He's my Lord and my Savior. If your conscience cannot affirm that, you are devoid of the Holy Spirit of God. You're not one of His. And you need to come to the point that you will claim Christ as your Lord and Savior now. See, the beautiful thing about being a disciple of Jesus Christ is it saves us from wasting our life. Nothing to be ashamed of living as a disciple of Jesus. You don't have to uh, wake up with side effects of the way you've lived. You don't have to be ashamed of being a Christian. There's joy in in being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now notice the second thing he says here in this passage. And of my words. So, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Now, I'm pretty confident that the word adulterous here, Jesus is not walking around thinking that everybody's committing adultery. All right. Not physical adultery. The, the adultery that is mentioned here is the spiritual adultery, where people are betraying God. They're not faithful. They're not uh, expressing a spirit of fidelity towards God, nor towards his words. It is, according to uh, the book of James, one thing to say that I'm a Christian And another thing, to actually have the evidence to prove that you're a Christian. Because those who have this disagreement between their profession and and the way that they actually live their life, the difference is they're actually ashamed of the Word of God. They don't want to apply it to their life. They don't want that to be the the governing um, or the ruling motive of their life. So this is our our second point then, is be unashamed to obey his words. Now let's take our Bibles and go over to 2 Timothy 2.15. And the Awana uh, children are supposed to be memorizing this verse this week, and the first one to walk up to me is going to get five Awana bucks, right? So that's just a reminder for anybody who's listening at home that goes to Awana. But this is the theme verse of the Iwana ministry, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, how could we be ashamed of the word of God? Well, either unfaithfulness or unskillfulness. We're not skilled. So as I was on that website, Church and State, and then the article was 50 Reasons to be Ashamed of Jesus, I can tell you that all 50 reasons were written by somebody who was unskilled in the Word of God, who did not know how to rightly handle the Word of God. They weren't what it means to rightly divide. It means to cut it straight think about the the different professions in life where you have to cut something straight. Paul was a tent maker. He had to cut the tent material straight. Um, It was an agrarian society. You have to cut a row straight. Now I grew up in Illinois um, and tens of thousands of acres of corn and the rows are as straight as an arrow. And you actually get this weird optical illusion as you drive down the road that, where the field gets like 3D on you, you know, because the rows are so straight. Um, but any material that you cut could be glass, it could be uh, leather, whatever it is, it needs to be cut straight. Well, the Word of God is the same way it needs to be cut straight, it needs to be cut properly. So let me ask you a question. What are the two major divisions in the Word of God where there's a major cut? Old and New Testament. Do you know the difference between the Old and the New Testament? Do you know how there's a continuity between the Testaments? What are the first five books of the Old Testament called? Do we know how to cut the Word of God into sections? What are the the next twelve books of the Old Testament called after the first five? The books of history? Then you have the five books of poetry. Then you have the five major prophets, you have the twelve minor prophets. How do these all interact with one another? Do we know how to cut a straight line? between these different things. Do we know how to use the books of Moses today? Do we know how to use them? What are the first four books of the New Testament called? The Gospels. Then we have a book of history, which is Acts. And then we have a whole bunch of letters written to individuals and churches. What do we call those? The Epistles. I think I've shared with you before, evangelist Doug Lowry, um, when he got saved, he, would, he, he literally came out of the hippie culture, and he went to Bible college, and uh, he got dressed to go to his first day of classes, and dressed meant a pair of flip-flops and shorts, and he walked out of the dormitory bare-chested, this was Bob Jones University, and he was on his way to class, and a, a classmate stopped you, whoa, what's going on here, and um, so he learned, well, yeah, you've got to be clothed to go to class. But uh, then as he was in Bible class, and this was his serious answer to a professor, um, what are the epistles? He put down the wife of an apostle. All right? So, uh, no, they're letters, all right, written to New Testament churches, um, then also letters written to pastors. And then what's the last book of the New Testament? book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature. Do we know the different rules that govern the different styles of literature, such as poetry? You see, as Christians, we make a general statement that we believe in the literal interpretation of Scripture. Well, should a poetic expression be taken literally, or should we try to figure out what does the poetic expression mean? So we believe in the historical, grammatical interpretation of Scripture. Do we know literary techniques in poetry that are used, such as personification? Proverbs chapter 8. If you don't know that, then you could be deceived and fall into the erroneous teaching of Jehovah Witness cult that make Proverbs chapter 8 all about Jesus. That's not what Proverbs chapter 8 is about. Matter of fact, the first nine chapters in the book of Proverbs are about two contrasting women. A harlot uh, called Lady Fool and then a virtuous woman called Lady Wisdom. So Proverbs 8 is magnifying wisdom as a beautiful woman that we need to be enticed by her, by her purity, by her virtue, and not to be enticed by an adulterous woman. So do we know how to cut the word of God straight? So we're supposed to study. Do we even read the Bible, let alone study it? I'll just be honest, folks. You bless me. Every week I am blessed because I get to sit down and study the word of God. And there is so much more that goes into my heart that can ever get out of my mouth during a message. And uh, then there's also some serious accountability for that as a pastor, too. Because you study the Word of God, you should know what it means. But are we skillful in the Word of God? Are we ashamed of Bible study? As the Word of God was preached by the Apostle Paul to the believers in Berea, Paul said they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scripture to see if the things that were taught were so. you have your Bible with you this morning? You don't, or you shouldn't, come to church and listen to pastor preach a message and just click everything pastor says is going to be right. Wrong. Pastors make mistakes as they preach, sometimes silly mistakes, getting Moses in the ark, even though he was in an ark, all right, just not as big as Noah's, all right? Um, but one Sunday in Sonora, when I was a young pastor, I had the American Medical Association symbol that's on the side of the ambulance, you know, the serpents winding around it. I had Moses lifting that up in the wilderness. And so one of the men in the church came to me and said, Pastor, how many... Serpents were on that pole. And I was like, mm, well, there were two. He's like, so let me read to you a passage in the gospel about how Jesus applied that. So are there multiple saviors, pastor? Okay, I was wrong. <laughs> All right. And, and so there are things that you can get wrong. One, one week we had a missionary that came through and preached that the devil was omniscient. Is that true? Right? Well, those that are unskilled in the Word of God might think, wow, I better be careful because the devil's going to know what I'm thinking. He's omniscient. No, he's not. He's a created being. But those that are not skilled in the Word of God many times can be deceived because they're not listening for discernment. I think that could be a characteristic of our age. Where the average Christian goes to church Clicks off the spirit of discernment and just accepts anything that a religious teacher says. Perhaps that's always been the case because the apostles warned us, for some have crept in unawares, teaching damnable heresies. So false teachers have always entered the church. That's why you need to bring your Bibles to church. Did you bring them today? All right. Now, this is just a preference, but our smartphones can get us distracted, right? Uh, They can get us on Facebook or TikTok or something like that during church when we're supposed to be in our scriptures. Now, I know how fast and convenient that a cell phone is to turn to scriptures, and uh, we used to do this thing on Sunday nights that were called sword drills, turned to a reference, and the first person there gets the credit and the point, you know. And so it was always like, oh, they're using the electronic copy, that's not fair, you know. It's just like, doot, do. I'm there, you know, where otherwise other people are going like this. So if you can use your phone without getting distracted, use your phone, all right, but Did you open it to the Word of God? Are you giving your concentration to the Word of God? Are you studying the Scripture? Now, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, explaining and applying the whole Scripture uh, to give those that maybe listen to us the accurate sense of what is being taught. Uh, This is one of the character traits of Ezra the scribe. As he gathered the people together and he taught, giving them the sense or the meaning of the Bible as he taught it. And so to remain unskilled really is to be ashamed of the word of God. Don't be ashamed of the word of Jesus. You see, the word of God is compared to a sword. Swords are not meant to be played with right, Uh, they're meant to be used to cut, to separate, Um, and the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and if we study the word of God, God will get through the outer layers and the outer trappings of things and really get to our heart, cut deep personally within, and the word of God will be as it is, quick and powerful. It will transform us. Um, We will be like a man who the word of God is like a mirror, but it shows the image of Jesus. And we stand there and say, I want to look like Jesus. But it's not that outward conformity, it's the inward conformity of our new nature that we want to look like Jesus Christ. But this workman is the idea of that of plowing a straight row. okay? And so Paul would have Timothy to make a straight furrow right through the word of truth. Now, any passage of scripture is the word of God. As a young pastor, I would stress out over, what am I going to preach? Ah, Help, I don't know. And there was like this rigid straitjacket put on me um, that I picked up somehow, I guess, and only one style of preaching was acceptable, expositional, verse by verse, word by word. Well, that's a great way to preach the Word of God, but, you know, a textual sermon where you expound a text, such as Mark 8.38, if you do it faithfully and accurately, it's just as powerful as explaining a whole chapter of the Bible. Uh, a topical sermon preached on a topic uh, can be, if it's handled faithfully and accurately, a way to be edified. And so we just want to go through the scripture, but as in the Old Testament it says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Building one step of our life at a time. Add to that previous layer another layer, and add to that another layer. So how do you listen to a sermon, right? Well, if it's the Word of God, listen for one nugget of truth that the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you and says, apply that. Listen to this. Do this in your life. So our handling of the truth must be straightforward, honest, without shifts or tricks. What is it the Apostle Paul warns? The church about false teachers, they take the words of God and they use them like plastic, soft, moldable, twistable. Right? I was just discipling uh, a young Christian this week, and a conversation about Jehovah Witnesses came up, and uh, it's like, well, they say, well, you know, there are so many different versions of the Bible out there. Well. They fault Christians for that. Well, how about faulting them for creating their own translation of the Bible, right? And, and so they, they're trying to be tricky and shifty and plastic uh, with the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Uh, their translation is, in the beginning was a word. And they changed the, even the Greek from the definite article. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God so they they're shifty they 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 they're tricky on that so rightly dividing the word of truth so are you studying the word of God is that something that that you get to do that you make it a, a joy and a priority in your life now and I've shared this with you before but one of the most precious memories of my mother was her Bible study life, her habit. Uh, notebooks from years of Bible study sat around the house. And in the closing days of her life, and I know that her mind was gone as she battled dementia, came downstairs, as a grown man as a pastor, and there she was, open Bible, reading, and um, I asked her, Mom, what are you studying today? What are you reading? And she was in a certain portion of Scripture. I forget, it must have been like in the Samuel or Kings or something. And uh, her comment to me was this. Oh, I'm in this passage, and I don't think I've ever read this before. It is so exciting. And I know that she had forgotten that she had studied that and read that because she was just in the Word of God every day. But what a blessing be excited about being in the Word of God every day, being thrilled with it. And then I looked down at her notebook. What could she be writing? What could her notes say? And you know what that was? It was just an exact copy of the passage of Scripture that she was reading. She wasn't skilled enough anymore in her mind because of the disease that was ravaging her mind to, you know, write down her own thoughts and apply it. But at least she was writing down the Scriptures. She was interacting with it. What a beautiful thing. What if we, as Christians, could rightly divide the word of truth? One day, Jesus is going to return. I'm sure that's an area that he'll investigate in our lives. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we ashamed of his words? Or are we unashamed of Jesus? Are we unashamed of his words? Are we ashamed... Of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to come. Um, we see this here and in, in, uh, go back to our text in Mark 8:38. The end of the verse says, Also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he, what? Cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, if we rightly handle the Word of God, we won't set a date. Because Jesus tells us not to do that. Several years ago, there was a well-known Bible a radio personality who I think it was on his fourth or fifth prediction, setting a date and Jesus would come back and so forth. And of course, mature Christians know that you don't set a date. But you know how the world handled that? The world laughed to scorn, ridiculed, and mocked Christians because we believe in the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. And one day a a brother and I were talking about that during that time period. And uh, he was kind of disheartened about it. And I said, you know what they're really after here is to get us to be ashamed of his return. Of our resurrection. Of our glory. And that struck that brother. Oh, I hadn't considered that. I was only embarrassed by that personality. That radio personality. But what the world wants you to be is ashamed of. That you believe in a resurrection. Fairy tale. Myth. Alright? Lunacy. Alright? Be ashamed of Jesus. Oh man, you all are that kind of Christian. You should be ashamed. You're not using your heads. Alright? And and so there's a lot of pressure there. Well, Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. It goes on to say that he that has this hope in himself purifies himself. If we were unashamed of his coming, we would live with the anticipation that Jesus might come before pastor gets done with his sermon. Amen? Might come before tomorrow morning. Let's be real. Let's, let's say we need to anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. Let's not be ashamed of that. But, you know, the, the, the consequence of meditating on that reality is, is that we need to abide with him now. The word abide means to live, to dwell, to take up residence. How do you do that? Well, Jesus said... Abide in His words, and His words in you. Live in the Word of God. Be at home in the Bible. Um, make it a daily habit to be in the Bible. So right now, my daily habit is commanding Google, the little dot, to open Version Bible. And I'm memorizing two passages of Scripture, uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 23, Uh, Then I listen to, I tell it to play a chapter of the Bible. So today I was in Revelation 1 and Revelation 2. And then I tell it, play me the verse of the day. And it played the verse of the day. Uh, Some of you can set your smartphone up to integrate with your audio system in your car. And as you're driving, you can listen to the word of God. But maybe you can even find a place that's quiet and alone, a deserted hour within your house, and you can sit down with the scriptures. Um, so be in the Word of God. Abide in the Word. And if you're abiding in the Word, then when Jesus Christ comes, you'll be able to stand in His presence and not have a conscience that has some reservation about meeting Him. Not to be ashamed. Your conscience. Um, have you ever thought a thought or maybe said something you shouldn't have about somebody and then like 20 seconds later they show up in the room and you're like... Right. Well, Jesus Christ is going to show up. Are we going to blush and be ashamed at his presence? So be unashamed to meet Jesus at his coming. And our last one, be unashamed to share the gospel. Let's go over to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1.16, the apostle says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Think about the author of that Paul. Saul a murderer. Of Christians, Who was glad to use his arm as a coat tree for those that murdered Stephen. And now he's boldly proclaiming Jesus and saying, I'm not ashamed. He gave up the highest class of religious position within Judaism. And he said this about it, I count it as a dung heap that I may gain Christ. Unashamed to proclaim the gospel, Paul gave his life for the gospel. Paul put his life in jeopardy for the gospel. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, famine, nakedness, under the threat of sword in peril. As I was watching A documentary on the life of Paul this last summer. They were talking about his journeys in the lower region of Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. And they actually had cameras walking uh, with the people on the ancient Roman roads. And they panned up and they said, This range of cliffs here in Paul's day were filled with bandits. And as travelers came past this road, their life was in peril. Well, Paul went past that to go preach the gospel in the next town, in the next city. Maybe he was held up at sword point. But he was unashamed of the gospel. Now, it was the power of God that changed Paul. It is the power of God that changes people in Hollister. I think one of the saddest realities today, I don't think Christians believe in the power of God anymore. God saves people today. He's still saving people. God is saving people in Hollister. Are we ashamed to preach that power and watch God save a soul? Watch God transform a life? We must be bold with our words. The world wants us to shut up and to stay in our homes and not preach to Jesus. We could not be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, Peter says this, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Don't be ashamed of the hope that the gospel message brings. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit of God who has been given to us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The word gospel means good news. Does the world need good news today? Man, I tell you, if you read on the internet, if you listen on the radio, if you see it on the TV, there's not good news, folks. But we have good news. Let's not be ashamed to share it. And if you suffer for sharing it, then rejoice. Don't be ashamed. So today, for these four reasons, let's be unashamed of Jesus, be unashamed of his words, be unashamed to study his word, be unashamed to share. So let's go ahead and have...